You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Spain and Fitz on a Friday. Sarah Spain hanging out with Courtney Cronin, who has been working so hard all day today that she hasn't even listened to the new Beyonce. You got to feel for her. You're way behind already, girl. You well, don't even I'm... know which song I'm going to pop up first at the tailgate tomorrow. Is it going to be Summer Renaissance? I don't know. Is it going to be Move? Maybe. There's a couple other in the mix that I have to decide between. I have a very long commute from Lake Forest back to the city. Uh, so I know that I wasted my time today listening to you a really podcast did. when I should have been you listening really to did. Beyonce. I've honestly What were you working? Failed. You were working? You could Trying have been listening to Trying to just catch up on the it. daily headlines so I could host a radio show with you and, and sound uh, you know remotely competent tonight. But, um, but next time, to tomorrow, I've got to drive up there. There you go. <laughs> Put it on. Thick with the QU, cozy, cuff it, move, summer renaissance. There are bangers that you need to get yourself acquainted with. Uh, yeah, Beyonce has a new album. We'll maybe rock a little bit of that later in the show. But Courtney's right. We've all also been spending our time making sure we're up to date on the biggest sports news. we got a lot to get to tonight. Let's start quickly with just some big picture stuff on the MLB trade deadline, biggest stories. And Courtney, you know, I, I, I think I leave it to the experts, the Buster Olneys, the Jeff Passons, et cetera, to tell us what they're hearing along the baseball grapevine about which teams are most interested and have the best packages for some of these big names. So I want to zoom out and instead do a little macro on Soto and Otani because Neither of these guys needs to be traded right now. This isn't a situation where either guy is forcing his way out and says, I'm not playing again. This isn't a situation where the contracts are up right away and they need to make sure that they're dealt. But they are guys that it feels like are on the move. And with Soto, the interesting thing to me that I heard Paston and Buster talking about was there's new ownership coming into the Nationals. You have two choices. One, you give them a very valuable team that's all the more valuable with a superstar young player like Soto. And they get to decide to whom they send him, if they send him at all. Or you get rid of Soto now, and the new owners do not have to have the first move they make as stewards of the team be to tell everyone, hey, by the way, we're responsible for sending off this young superstar. That's a tough sell either way on which one is better. And, and since we don't know who the ownership group or owner is going to be of the Washington Nationals, you can't take the temperature on which – way they'd want to go and which way makes the most sense. But realistically, does it not decrease the value, at least on a surface mm -hmm. level, when the best asset that this team has had in years and, and even before, a team that won the World Series not that long ago, if that player is not there, does that not decrease what the overall value of the team is? Like That's where I'm held up on this about why this has to happen right now because, as you mentioned, he's not a free agent for two more years, not until after the 2024 season. And, and that just doesn't make sense in terms of the way it lines up. I don't get the timeline unless they're thinking rebooting right now, realizing that their farm system is an absolute mess and trying to get those resources in place so the new ownership can start moving the team in the direction of actually getting back towards being competitive. I guess that's well, where my my logic on it like lies, but it just it just when when this whole thing came up when he turned down the 15 year deal, 440 million dollars, like you you look at that number and you kind of balk at that saying, "Wow, um why would that happen?" But now now it kind of makes a little bit more sense just given where they're at and and that they're not going to be competitive with this roster currently in place. Yeah, I mean, I think that's where the patience comes in. They have two and a half more years. 
they know what a ticket seller he is and how great he can be. And they get to decide now just how serious they think his desire to leave is versus sticking around. The other one is Shohei Otani, who through a translator was very down the middle, pretty vague about his response to questions about being traded. Right now, I'm an angel. That is true. Right now, he is an angel. He's always going to work hard in front of him. The question for Otani is, who is he as a person beyond a baseball player? Because we know that Mike Trout is willing to, for great sums of money, Stick around with the Angels, regardless of whether he'll ever be relevant in a postseason and what it means for his legacy or the larger landscape of the average baseball fan knowing more about him than just hearing that he's good, but never really getting to see him on the biggest stages. Who is Shohei Otani and what does he want? Because if he's the kind of guy that refuses to play for a team that cannot become a contender, then you need to make sure you don't lose him for nothing. They're 22 and a half games behind Houston right now in the AOS. That's that's this is a team that's going to miss the playoffs for tw- the 12th time in 13 seasons. And if you're Shohei, like you're just turned 28 years old, how many more years do you want to be a part of this? And also if you're the Angels, maybe you try to get a jump start right now because this formula for winning with Mike Trout and Shohei Otani, as Perry Manajian said a few weeks ago, that formula doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't compute. So I think it's a business move by the Los Angeles Angels to tear this thing apart and continue on what they were doing after firing Joe Madden, realizing that they just cannot field a competitive team. And they've been above (laughs) 11 games above 500, 11 games below 500 in the same season. That's absurd. I think – to get the most bang for your buck with someone like Shohei Otani, who's a generational player and one of the most exciting players in the game, you do it now before it's too late. I guess I agree with you, but I also think that having talked to Jeff Passan about why this team is willing to pay for superstars and never able to be any good is another thing to look at. Mm-hmm. Do they care that much about actually winning or do they understand uh, the, the, the business of baseball and, and know that they could you know cherry pick these stars but not have to actually flesh out a full team? Um, there's a lot of questions about why the Angels are able to get great players and not ever able to really contend. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin, in for Fitz tonight. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. We'll get back to baseball maybe a little bit later, but let's also talk about some basketball news. And in the light of us talking about Kyler Murray's contract for the last couple days, which we will get back to next segment, uh, there's a contract in the NBA that has folks talking as well. Zion Williamson's new contract with the Pelicans includes weight requirements. Not just specifically a weight, but the sum of his weight and his body fat percentage below 295, which is actually a bit of work. He's been around 284 at college and previously with the Pelicans. Then you add in another 10, 11, 12 percent body fat, and he's going to have to work for that. He's only 22 years old. He's already had several injuries, and it's become clean clear that he has to work pretty hard to, to, to get it right. Now, the reaction to this has mostly been, we get that. It's a $193 million deal five years. There's a lot invested in this guy being available and being good. But Mina Kimes today on PTI spoke to some smart folks who made it clear that it'd be pretty hard to enforce this in any meaningful way. But here's where it's similar to Kyler Murray's clause, RIP. It's never going to be enforced. Yeah, Uh, you're right. You know, it's not fair. It's not foul. It's futile because in order to crack down on him, they would have to basically cut him, you know, if they were going to take away his guaranteed money. That's obviously not going to happen. This is obviously not going to matter. It's just put in place, I think, to show, you know, a, a, a good faith on both sides. That's right. So they can't take away guaranteed money unless the contract is ending, and that would mean they'd have to be willing to get rid of him. This only touches contract uh, guaranteed money. So I guess, Courtney, then this is about both of them deciding that publicly 
We will state an investment in this part of the game, the keeping myself in shape, the making the right choices around food, the working out hard, um, and, and make sure that everybody publicly knows that we're both on the same page here. That seems like the only reason to do this. Mm-hmm. And his rookie season, remember, it was kind of like, you know, the butt of every joke of, oh, he's in New Orleans. Oh, beignets. Oh, like, you know, the food's really good down there. Well, it actually did become a problem, and it's not just the weight management. I mean, he played 85 games through the first three seasons of his NBA career. He missed all of last season because of the foot injury. There was, like, some, you know, some some thought that he could come back, and he didn't. Like, I think the commitment to – trying to stay in shape is one thing, but we also have to realize what his build is. And I think they talked about this on PTI as well, Mina and Frank, that he's a big guy and he's going to come, you know, when you go up for a rebound, your body, like, you know, is he all of a sudden going to have to like change the way that he, he, he jumps towards the rim and comes down on his feet. Like, I think that's always going to be a concern because of his build and how he how he plays the game of basketball, what made him great in the first place. But, I mean, it's clear that the Pelicans and, and the Cardinals, to a, to a different degree, with Kyler Murray, are, they want to invest, and they did invest a ton of money to make these two the faces of their respective franchises, but they also have concerns underlying um, before they want to go forward with this that they clearly addressed in the contracts. Yeah, and the Kyler Murray one's different because Zion seems in on this, and he seems okay with it, and Kyler clearly was not and there's more to that now that happened after our show last night first remember tune into an interleague battle tomorrow as the red sox host the brewers presented by progressive insurance coverage begins at 3 30 p.m eastern on espn radio and the espn app we'll get to that kyler murray contract and some comments from patrick mahomes do the two relate or are there some arguments that they are unrelated we'll get into it next spain and fitz the podcast yeah if you're listening to us instead of just rocking the new Beyonce, much appreciated. We'll give you a little bit of it while you're tuning in for some sports. I know that's going to be a lot of my weekend. I got a big Red Stars Chicago Fire doubleheader at Soldier Field tomorrow. I'm throwing a big tailgate, and there's going to be a lot of new Beyonce rocking at Soldier Field tomorrow. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Courtney, you were on with me yesterday, and we've been talking about it for what feels like a a week or two now, different iterations of the conversation around uh, Kyler Murray's contract. First, it was just that he got it done and the numbers on it. Then there was this weird independent study clause that, you know, said he needed to have at least four hours of studying film without being distracted by video games, television, otherwise. And the reaction publicly was expected for a clause that weird and unique, particularly for that low level of requirement. Uh, you and I and everybody else who works in our business does the minimum of that just to keep up and to talk about it, not to mention get out there and play and have a billion dollar uh, franchise and, and league uh, depending on us. So the response was expected, but both the frustration from Kyler Murray about the we- media reaction and coverage of it, and then the team itself removing the contract last night and saying, quote, is clearly perceived in ways that were never intended. Our confidence in Kyler Murray is as high it's ever been. Nothing demonstrates our belief in his ability to lead this team more than the commitment reflected in this contract. There was that dichotomy. You've just given him all of this guaranteed money while simultaneously indicating that you're not sure he works that hard. It was all very confusing. And so is the fact that the statement from the Cardinals did not name anyone. It just said the Cardinals as a general amorphous being. Courtney, this is all now coming to a head because they've removed the clause and Kyler was frustrated yesterday. 
And before we get to the second element of this, I wonder if you have any thoughts to them removing it. Because to me, I said on Around the Horn today, it's like in a trial when a, when a lawyer goes on a long rant and then objection sustained. It's like they already heard it all. Like whatever you just said that you wanted the jury to hear, they've heard it. And that's the same as us. We're going to think about this when we think about Kyler and watch him play. Yeah, I mean, this is part of the overall fabric of Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals going forward. And the damage was already done because when you see that language in the contract, what's talking about independence. So he has to like personally study while quote, like not in being engaged in other activity that may distract his attention. So video games, television, browsing the internet, doing anything that we all do on our phones, what have you like, when you realize like how rare a clause like that is, Sarah, um, and also just like the the connotation that that comes, uh, that, like what that does and what that comes across as is that this guy doesn't work very hard and he's not your prototypical build of an NFL quarterback who, if you cut their head open, it's a giant football in the place of a brain. <laughs> like that's how that comes across. And we're always going to think about this. It's not that. You know, the, the clause may be may have gone away, but we very clearly know how the Arizona Cardinals feel about Kyler Murray. Yes, they did give him that big contract that had one hundred and sixty million dollars fully guaranteed. But there was also a caveat of, well, we really need you to earn this by way of studying on your own independently for four hours every single week and that they were going to have like tracking devices more or less to be able to make sure to make sure that he met those thresholds like. That may have gone away, and he may not have to do that, but they still put that in there for a reason. We're not going to forget about that overnight. Right, and, and that's the thing. So when I was out around the horn today, Kevin Blackstone, who I think is fantastic, the professor, uh, brought up the concept of this being a microaggression that we're used to seeing against black quarterbacks and that we don't actually know anything about his study habits and that he's more than proven himself by making a bad team good and by getting consistently better. Okay, but we also know that every single year for the last two seasons, his numbers have gone down in the second half. And presumably that's when other teams have a lot of tape on you and are watching it and adjusting. And if you are not watching and adjusting equally to them, it could affect you. He's got his rating drops on average 10 or more points for the first half to the second. His intended yards per pass attempt, his completed per pass attempt decrease. He starts throwing more checks downs. He starts throwing shorter passes. He scrambles more. I don't know if he doesn't trust his O-line after an injury or his O-line gets worse or what it is, but it certainly feels like there is an argument statistically for Kyler Murray being a lesser quarterback in the second halves, which would be the time when teams and coaches can scheme against you and where you need to work harder and not use instinct and use mm -hmm. studying. So all of that context leads us to Patrick Mahomes, who probably said what he said today because of the anonymous criticism of Lamar that said, hey, if he wins 11 team MVPs, I don't really care. He's not a QB one. The anonymous criticism of Patrick Mahomes that said they didn't think he read defenses that well. And now the conversation about Kyler Murray. Well, of course, the through line there is that those are all black quarterbacks in the NFL. And here's what Patrick Mahomes said at his presser. I mean, obviously, uh, the black quarterback has had a battle to be in this position that we are, to have this many guys in the league playing. And I think every day we're proving that uh, we should have been playing the whole time. We've got guys that think uh, just as well as they can use their athleticism. And so uh, it, it always is weird when you see guys like me, Lamar, Kyler, kind of get that on them and other guys don't. But at the same time, we're going to go out there and prove ourselves every day to show that we can be some of the best quarterbacks in the league. Now, Courtney, I agree with all of that. 
I particularly I think that the criticisms of Lamar Jackson are very deeply rooted in racism. Mm -hmm. Both the idea of how he plays, his com communication uh, ways, his decision not to have a, an agent. There are so many aspects around Lamar that feed into people's idea of what a great quarterback is and defy that. And instead of being thrilled by that, there are very antiquated dinosaurs who are afraid of that and or critical. Fine. But this Kyler Murray contract, to me... This has to be based on something that they know. You do not risk putting this out there, having it in his contract, making him angry, any of that, when you're going to give him that much money and believe in him as a player, unless you truly believe that there's reason to do it. And I don't think that that's the team seeing him as a black quarterback who doesn't study enough. I believe that's them reacting to a New York Times story where he flat out said, I have a lot of cognitive ability. I don't have to spend a lot of time watching tape. And the fact that we've seen precipitous declines in the second half of seasons. I agree with the concept that Patrick Mahomes is speaking of. I don't know for sure that we can say that Kyler Murray is an example of that, knowing what we know about why they probably put this clause in his contract in the first place. He agreed to it. That's the thing. Like, he clearly knows that there probably is a level of truth to it. If you agree, your your agent's reading every single page, every single word of this contract. It's not like it slipped past the, him. It's not like he didn't know it was in there. Very clearly he did and, you know, in a way kind of um, pointed the spotlight on himself with that New York Times article from last season that you had referenced. And that's unfortunate for him, but there is more than just, like, truth to this. These teams know every single thing about these players. They wouldn't be investing hundreds of millions of dollars if they weren't completely convinced that his studying habits needed work and that in order to get there, they had to write this clause in there and say, hey, we really need you to take on more studying every week because we can tell and point kind of back to your studying habits being the reason that our team has not been as successful at certain points. Yeah, and I think this is a, a larger conversation to have, and I'm glad that we are going to have our colleague on next to, to get into it more because it's a perfect segue for what Patrick Mahomes said. It's Spain and Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance, here to help you score big savings. To see how much you can save on auto insurance, visit Progressive.com. How has the rise of black quarterbacks changed America, and do we think that the continued conversations around these particular black quarterbacks reflect microaggressions against a specific race or are a larger conversation? We'll get into all that next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Beyonce was like, man, we've been home too much. We got to get out dancing. And then she gave us an entire album of tracks, most of which we can dance to. A uh, couple of them are a little too sexy for me. I'm not too sexy for me in general, but I'm not going to be dancing to those. I'm going to save those for the sexy time at home. Uh, yeah, listen to Beyonce's new album. It'll bring you joy this weekend. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin, In for Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We were just talking about Patrick Mahomes' comments about black quarterbacks being unduly criticized, and there was some connection there made by uh, Kevin Blackstone on Around the Horn that some of the conversation around Kyler Murray's contract clause may relate to those microaggressions against black quarterbacks. And we wanted to talk about that and already had plans to have ESPN senior NFL writer Jason Reed on the show to talk about his book, Rise of the black quarterback what it means for america which comes out on august 2nd so perfect timing jason i want to ask you this because i usually am 100 on board and i think most of what patrick mahomes said was correct and i think almost everything that's usually said about lamar jackson is rooted in racism and antiquated ideas about what a quarterback looks and talks and sounds and acts and runs and throws like 
But with Kyler Murray, this seems very specific. This doesn't feel like a microaggression about doubting black quarterbacks. It feels like a very specific contract clause based in something that he has or hasn't done in the past. Are you seeing an overlap here? Or do you think these are probably different issues? Yeah, no, Sarah, I, I totally agree with you. You know, I've been asked about this on other shows, and, and some people have tried to get me to draw a straight line with the way court, black black men at the quarterback position historically have been viewed in the league and this Kyler Murray situation, and, and I can't do it, Sarah. I'm, I'm totally with you. I think this is a Kyler Murray-specific situation. Now, I, I think the Arizona Cardinals have handled this horribly, mm-hmm. and you know, I think the best spin you can put on it is, look, they probably thought, hey, there's some things they'd like to see him do more, and so you, you, you want to encourage him, and that's, that's a best-case spin on it. You don't give someone $160 million guaranteed for injury at 105 at signing if you don't believe in them. So they, they botched this. They, they've tried to clean it up by removing it now, but the damage is done. But, no, I do not see this as a situation about how black men at that position have historically been viewed in the league. Hey, Jason, as it pertains to your book, Rise of the Black Quarterback, What It Means for America, which comes out on August 2nd, I've just started to parse through it, and it's absolutely incredible. It's a great read, like especially at this time of year where we are in contract extension season, and we're all wondering about what it's going to take now that Kyler Murray got his deal, what that looks like for Lamar Jackson. And we know he's a polarizing figure throughout the league, and the criticisms around him have been pointed and very different uh, compared to other quarterbacks. Like, what do you think is the fair – like, what what should that conversation be now? That he is, like, you know, potentially going to play this year out, potentially wait to get a deal? Like, what's – he's bro, he has an MVP award, numerous records to his name. Um, do you think he's ever going to be able to, like, shed that sort of label that he's a running back playing quarterback or just, like, being kind of this unicorn in his own right that other quarterbacks don't necessarily get the same criticism for? Yeah, Courtney, well, first of all, thank you for the kind words about the book. Yeah, this Lamar conversation, it's going to be ongoing. Um, You mentioned the MVP award. He and Tom Brady are the only quarterbacks in the history of the league to be unanimous winners of the AP MVP award. In week five last year against the Indianapolis Colts, he put on a passing display that, you know, people want to talk about, Anonymous people want to talk about he can't win if he has to throw the ball. Well, that night he definitely led the, the Ravens to a victory while throwing the ball. But like you said, Courtney, there's all this discussion around him. He's, he, if he plays out the season, doesn't get a contract, I think we're looking at a situation where Lamar Jackson, unless he can win a Super Bowl and do it both throwing and running, there's always going to be a group out there that just feels, well, well, he's really not like the other ones. Like, you know, remember Sesame Street, what what doesn't belong in this set? And despite his accomplishments and despite the metrics that we could discuss showing that he's made improvement in the passing game and despite the fact he's clearly not a finished project project right now, um, I think he's going to his fourth season of being the week one starter. So, look, it's, it's unfair in many respects, but Life isn't fair, and until he wins the Super Bowl or at least gets to the game and does it in a way that looks in a more traditional manner, we're going to keep having these discussions. 
It's Spain and Fitz. Courtney Cronin in for Fitz as we talk to Jason Reed, ESPN senior NFL writer who wrote Rise of the Black Quarterback, What It Means for America. You can pre-order now. It comes out on August 2nd. Put a link up at Spain and Fitz at Sarah Spain. You can find it there to try to uh, uh, put in an order there. You started writing about this for The Undefeated Now and Scape and found yourself wanting to expand the conversation over the course of writing this book that gets into everybody from the current Colin Kaepernick, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, all the way back to Marlon Briscoe and Eldridge Dickey, like what did you learn as you were writing about this? Yeah, Sarah, I, I learned so much. I, I approached this, you know, you, I mean, you, you both are reporters. I, I approached this like I knew nothing about it. Even though you mentioned that, that series that I worked on back in 2019, I really wanted to just look at this like I knew nothing about the subject matter and start fresh. And, you know, basically 75 interviews and 80, 78,000 words later, I learned a ton. I thought I understood about the racism the pioneers face, but the anecdotes, the specific anecdotes, you know, Warren Moon explaining to me that when he was a starting quarterback at the University of Washington, they, the, the home crowd there was booing him, and, and just the, the, the feeling of sadness he had and anger. Um, Doug Williams talking to me about the hate mail. Uh, James Harris talking to me about the when he was going back to the dorm in Buffalo Bills training camp, just the, the, the anguish that he felt. I, I didn't have a real appreciation of how bad these these experiences were for these men because you know it's not something that I lived. I mean, I, I'm, I'm younger and 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 I you know I'm not, I would never say that racism doesn't exist in the country or sexism doesn't exist in the country. We know that it does clearly, but you know the things that that we experience, like people who came before us, experience a lot worse. So uh, the my main takeaway was the education I received as a black man about things that, yeah, I knew about racism, but the specific anecdotes really, it, it was something was hard to listen to as I sat with these men and interviewed them for the, for the book. Is the landscape changing for black quarterbacks? Because obviously you can look at like the most successful of them and, and Patrick Mahomes, somebody who signed an absurd contract when he got it, 10 years, nearly $500 million after winning a Super Bowl. Um, but then there's still the rhetoric around guys like Cam Newton who you know weren't able to, to, to win a Lombardi trophy and finish the job. And I feel like now we look at it um, differently. They almost get like villainized in a way that we don't see it happen the same with their white counterparts. Like, is the playing field, I guess, are we finding it, it's becoming more level? Or there's still, like, I guess, how is the NFL dealing with a lot of these microaggressions that do come against black quarterbacks uh, in today's game? Yeah, Courtney, talking to player personnel directors around the league and, and other player personnel people, it, it no longer happens in a draft room where anyone says, or where whether it's unspoken, that we're not going to take this player because at the quarterback position because he's black. The, the money's too big. You can't overlook anyone who can help you win, as you both know. Now, we see the Patrick Mahomes situation. You, know, you mentioned Cam Newton, Courtney. Let, let's focus on Patrick Mahomes. We know that there was a piece that came out this week written by another outlet uh, talking about ranking quarterbacks. And in that, an anonymous defensive coordinator said that, well, you take away Patrick Mahomes' first read, he plays street ball, and they lose. Guys, in, in the Super Bowl era, there's only one the, – the, the, the two quarterbacks at the top in terms of victories to their first 50 starts. Ken Stabler is 49-1, and, and Patrick Mahomes is 40-10. and 10. Patrick Mahomes doesn't lose. 
He's played. He, he's had four full seasons as starter. He, everyone has at least ended in either the Super Bowl or the AFC Championship game. I mean, it's absurd that someone would say, well, you take away his first read and that's when they lose because he plays quote-unquote street ball. There's clearly coded language in that. And you're saying that someone loses when he's 40 and 10 in 50 career starts. So, yeah, Courtney, there's a lot of progress made because black men at that position will be drafted if they're superstars. There's no doubt about that. But we still see that there are these anachronistic uh, thoughts that some people have around what that position should clearly still look like. I want to look into that too, though, because it is interesting if you look at the way the Chiefs went out last year. Um, the Bengals dropped eight plus defenders in coverage, and they did it on a season high percentage of passes. And the way that they adjusted the game from first half to second half completely changed how Mahomes played. He he was seven to 13, 59 yards, interception, two sacks. He had a career low uh, minus fourteen plus pass EPA. They gave him a lot more open space, but then shut down the things he was used to going to, and he struggled. Now we can have that conversation, right? The same way that people criticized Aaron Rodgers, who's had endless amounts of success for quote-unquote being too safe and saying that another year you fall short because you're playing too careful and calculated of a game and you're trying to avoid interceptions at the expense of potentially making plays that will change the game. At what point are we able to look at Mahomes and say, yeah, he's freaking insanely good, but here's something that we found last year, which was first he had to adjust to dinking and dunking, and that was a lot of criticism against the Chiefs when he lost his ability to just go deep to Tyree Kill because teams took that away, dropping two safeties deep. And then in that game against the Bengals, we actually saw what happened when teams said, here, have some room to run around, but we're dropping eight deep we're gonna make it so much harder for you in coverage and you're not used to that yet that's fine that he's not used to it but we can talk about it right oh sarah i triple down everything you just said look there are no sacred cows okay when you're talking about this league everybody gets evaluated the scoreboard is the ultimate evaluator but everybody gets evaluated every sunday and every monday and i i guess every thursday and every other day of the week now because they play all the time so no we we can definitely have that discussion now you know, all those things that you, that you just cited are 100% true, and he played horribly in the second half of that game. I mean, it, it, was, it was the first game of his career. Like, I, I take the Super Bowl out because that Super Bowl performance, their line was decimated, and people just thought they would win because of him, and they weren't looking at that game correctly right, going exactly. into it. Right, exactly. But this was the first game where you talked about – like, he just did not perform in the second half. Now, you know, having been at the game and sitting in that press box, there, there, were, there were a couple of times in that second half where I said, okay, they've changed it up on him. You know, Kelsey, he doesn't connect with Kelsey. They pick up a first down there, woulda, coulda, shoulda. But, yes, he did not perform well in the second half of that game. And, yes, there were times last year when, with, with the two safety two safeties deep, and he couldn't just go over the top of Tyreek Hill all the time, and he had to change, but he did change, and they wound up right. going 12-4, and four, and they wound yeah. up getting back to the AFC Championship game. And if they kick the field goal at the end of the first half, maybe it's a different discussion. But everything you're saying is true, and we have to be able to have those discussions because, look, 
Every, no one, no one here is redshirting. Everyone plays, and they right. get evaluated. And the valuation just has to be fair. And and everything you just said is perfectly fair. That's where it comes down to. It has to be fair, and that's why I think so much of specifically Lamar Jackson has felt dumb and wrong because it hasn't been fair and it's been rooted in in antiquated ideas. Hey, we're out of time. Wish we could talk more. Everybody, check out Rise of the Black Quarterback: What It Means for America, August second. Jason Reed, ESPN senior NFL writer. Follow him at J Reed ESPN. Thanks so much for the time. Thank you, both of you. Thank you very much. Spain and Fitz, I'm going to talk a little Diana Tarazi making history last night, and we'll ask you uh, some funny questions coming up in Quickies. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. I love the work I'm making and putting in the back to make sure that the clips are safe for radio. There's a whole lot of stuff on this album that isn't. It's Spain and Fitz. Happy Friday. Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're bumping the new Beyonce while we take you through the sports news of the day. And sometimes when there's too much news and not enough time, this is how we got to do it. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. That's right. We'll start with Diana Taurasi. She becomes the first WNBA player with a 30-plus point game at the age of 40 or older. This has only been done twice in the NBA. And by the way, keep in mind that the NBA games are longer. So in a shorter amount of time, she still managed to put up 30. 7 of 18 from the floor, 11 of 12 from the free throw line, 5 of 13 from beyond the arc, a 90-80 win for Phoenix, which could be as big of a deal as anything. This is great news for Diana, but that Phoenix team has a rip of talent even after Tina Charles left for Seattle and even with Brittany Griner over in Russia, and they have not played to expectations. But Diana's kicking it up a notch. Skylar Diggins-Smith has been playing hot. And here we are talking about only three people in either the NBA or the WNBA to do this, Courtney. That's pretty baller. I love what she had to say, too, that when you're old, everything's a record. So the first person to miss 15 threes in a game right. over 40 years old, first person to have four offensive fouls in a two-minute span. Like, she's right. We do love to, like, parse yes. through this yes. in every sport when we look at our goats, whether it's, you know, Tom Brady in the NFL or Diana Taurasi in the WNBA. Like, we are obsessed with age. It is so, it. like, insane to it. me, like, how we but literally go through that so You know what, that, to the Courtney, that's detail. said like a young person, though. I am the opposite. When I see her doing this at 40, I'm like, how? I am so tired just watching you. <laughs> like, when you're younger, you're like, it's not that big of a deal. And then when you get older, you're like, dang, there are no people left doing what I used to do at my age. And so uh, I am fine with parsing every stat. She has earned it. Um, also, I love that she kind of called her shot by saying before this season, old people can dream too. Uh, she's dreaming, she's doing. We love to see it. Next story. Quickies. Speaking of old and dreaming and doing Sue Bird. Not only did she play her final game in the WNBA, at least regular season in Connecticut, but it was named Sue Bird Day in the state announced before her final game. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, how many records, how many awards, how many moments can you have? I mean, Sue Bird is, uh, the goat of wins accomplishments, success at every level, at every city, at every stop, at every country. And now she has Sue Bird Day. In addition to that, she is joining the ranks of NWSL ownership, just like yours truly. So we are now enemies. She is a part owner in Gotham FC, announced around the same time as Eli Manning's ownership was announced. A $40 million valuation for that team. An important note, Courtney, the, uh, the Gotham team is not the one 
that her fiance plays for. That's what I was wondering. So she now <laughs> owns a team that is in opposition, most importantly to mine, uh, as a friend, you know, we're going to have to figure this out, but also to her fiance's team, O.L. Reign. Would that, like, she had to do it this way, right? Like, yep. she couldn't, ha- like, buy a team that her fiance, Megan Rapino plays for, correct? Like, that wouldn't have worked? Probably not, but also Sue Bird's a Chicago, uh, New York, you know, Correct. Through and through. I, I think she wants to live back there. I think they have a place there and they spend a lot of off seasons based on the number of photos that they take with Jesus and Pablo and Anna Kendrick and folks where I'm not invited, presumably because I don't live there um, and they don't know if I'm in town. Otherwise, I'm guessing I would get the invite. Um, I, yeah, I think uh, Dinah and, and Megan spend, uh, Dinah, uh, Megan and uh, Sue spend a, a fair amount of time out there and probably could be a place to land post careers. Uh, I think she's looking ahead and also being a diehard New Yorker, uh, New Yorker, she wants to rep her city. So that makes sense. All right, next story. Quickies. Okay. The Panthers' Robbie Anderson has decided to change the spelling of his first name. Now, he has already done this several times. Over the course of his career, you can look back and find Robbie with an I-E and Robbie with a Y across different moments. But apparently now he has decided definitively that Robbie with a Y is better, that there are more Robbies with an I-E, and he would like to change it. Courtney, we probably should have led the show with this. So it is cooler to have a Y in your name because then you can draw the curly cues when you like finish right. your Fair. signature and stuff. Agreed. Like I have a Y in but my But you name. could put an you could put a heart for the dot on an I. Not as cool. The curly okay. cues and all of the squiggles you can do with it. It's um it's interesting that this like means that much to him. I mean your name is obviously a huge part of who you are, but the fact that he's like this is not the first time he's flip flopped back and forth on this before like, I guess he just wants to change his mind or have, like, the right to do that. It must yeah. be a lot of work, I mean, though, going shout out to, to uh... Google, because I just searched Robbie Anderson, I.E., and it said, did you mean Robbie Anderson with, with a, a Y? y. He probably made sure that that was uh, up to top of this. Uh, absolutely love it. Um, I'm confused, though, because now I'm really not sure whether he went I.E. to Y or Y to I.E., Nobody seems to be able to tell. I think he's dropping the IE and going Y, but now I'm concerned that I got it wrong. Uh, Robbie, hit me up. Let me know which one you're doing here. Uh, Finally, Dak Prescott says he hopes the season will be the golden year to deliver a Super Bowl since it's his golden birthday. Turns 29 on the 29th. Courtney, I want to ask the folks out there at Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz, at Courtney R. Cronin, what is the most absurd celebration you've been to? Because a golden birthday would be up there. How about a dog wedding? Let us know. We'll throw it out there. We're going to talk NWSL second half coming up. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain. Courtney Cronin in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. And I've been really enjoying the social media feeds of the various NWSL women's professional soccer players as they've enjoyed the last two weeks or so of vacation. That's the U.S. Women's National Team players post-CONCACAF. All the NWSL team players, they went on some wild vacations together. Good info for the gram. But now we're back with games tonight and this weekend. So to talk about the second half of the season, senior writer for The Athletic, our go-to for the NWSL and women's soccer, it's Meg Linehan. Meg, thanks for the time. Let's talk about the storylines you most have your eye on as we return to action here. 
I think the big question right off the bat is can the San Diego Wave hold on to this number one spot, right? You have an expansion team coming out like through the halfway point of the season, holding on to the number one spot on the table. Portland Thorns right behind them. Chicago Red Stars not far behind. And can can Casey Stoney's new expansion team actually, you know, hold on for not just maybe even a playoff spot, but for the Shield? That's the big question. Meg, Sarah and I were just talking about Sue Bird buying the minority stake in the NWSL's New Jersey, New York, Gotham FC. Um, we had heard about this, and, and now obviously it's happening. What can you tell us about the mutual interest between the club and Sue Bird and, and, and why right now was the right time for her to get involved with this organization? Yeah, I mean, Sue Bird is a New York native, obviously, so I think that there's a real connection there. But Gotham FC has been making some pretty consistent headlines with minority investors that they've been bringing in. Obviously, you bring back in Carly Lloyd, right, a a player that has played for the team and come back as an owner. And then you get someone like Kevin Durant, 35 Ventures, coming in. And now to have Sue Bird coming in, it's been really interesting to see Gotham FC expand their ownership and maybe take a few lessons from the the angel cities the kansas city current even in terms of how do you pull certain people from certain places and then not just you know have them buy into the team but also then use their name to advance the team so i think it's great timing on gotham's part but obviously sue bird looking at at retirement at the end of this wnba season i think that's kind of you know an immediate project for her to take on it's Spain and Fitz. We're talking to Meg Linehan. You can follow her at It's Meg Linehan. Let's talk about Jaylene Daniels. Uh, she's come up multiple times over the course of her career for refusing to wear Pride Night uniforms for the national team, now for her Courage team. Uh, the team has said they respect her decision. They are disappointed. Uh, she's used her religion to justify her decision, and I'll quote from Haley Carter, uh, who uh, is works with Athlete Ally, amongst other things. If I refuse to do my job because my company's celebrating my LGBTQ plus coworkers, and I openly disavow my company's DEI policy calling for inclusivity, I'd probably be looking for a new job. And if I did it because of religion, I'd be revisiting the teachings of Christ too. Uh, I have a problem with this every single time it comes up, Meg, because I think it's uh, hiding bigotry behind faith and arguing that the whole hate the sinner or love the sinner, hate the sin is still rooted in hate, which is very hard to reconcile with claims of goodness. And I I wonder, especially in a league that is as openly progressive and has so many out lesbian and and queer players, uh, whether there needs to be something more done than just to shrug and use the, the old line of we respect that decision. Yeah, I mean, obviously, this is kind of a personal one for me. And in a, a fun twist, also, my, my wife has a PhD in theology, right? Oh, so, uh, you know, it is kind of a, a a very interesting thing for me to look at. But I think what is most disappointing is that this is a player that had retired and then a player that the North Carolina Courage brought back in. And there were a lot of things said when they brought her back in in terms of, you know, we've had these conversations with her. There is kind of going to be this baseline of respect, all this kind of stuff. And then to kind of get the sense of, well, nothing, you know, all these conversations might have happened, but nothing has actually changed, right? And so I think what's really interesting, there's a couple parts of this that's really interesting, is is one, can the NWL kind of go above and beyond? But is there kind of a violation of, of a DEI policy? I don't know. I think... It might be a stretch. It might not be. But I think the other part, too, is, 
you know, uh, someone reported tonight that the team has intentionally been keeping her from media. And if you're going to have this approach and, and have a strong viewpoint enough to not play in a game because you're not comfortable wearing rainbow numbers, I think you should also have to talk through that yes. decision in public. Yes. And that is the bare minimum that we could expect. And the fact that a team is protecting a player like that, to me, that that to me is the bigger question of should the league be doing something about that? Because in theory, every player should be available for media opportunities. Meg, we know that Alex Morgan uh, is incredible. She's 33 years old. In the form of her life, she scored the game-winning goal uh, for the United States against Canada in the CONCACAF uh, championship in the final two weeks ago. And she's one of the main reasons that San Diego is, is top of the table right now. Like, what is it about her at this point of her career that allows her to keep performing the way that she's doing right now? You know, I think what's really interesting about watching a player age, right? Like there's, I mean, it's, it's super fun in the end of you the, the two leading candidates for the golden boot this year, are Alex Morgan, 33. And then Sophia Smith in Portland, who is now, I believe 21, 22. Right. And so mm-hmm. you have this kind of youth first vet thing going on. But what I think has been really interesting with, with Alex Morgan is leaving that kind of national team environment and then coming back to it fresh. She's, She's had to prove that, that she's had to prove that she belongs there, right? And having ha, like basically lighting a fire under her to really get into NWSL form and really try, I think, has revitalized her career. But what I think people forget about Alice Morgan is like she is one of the most natural goal scorers on the face of the planet. Mm-hmm. And so seeing her in San Diego, obviously leading the way there, but also I think having that veteran presence to lead that team and then being a real voice for the U.S. national team. You know, Vlako Andonofsky joked when, when we were down in Mexico, I kept asking about penalty takers and being like, why aren't you using Alex Morgan? And obviously she scores a penalty kick in the CONCACAF W championship final he basically was like, yeah, sorry for lying to your face about who our number one penalty kick taker was. <laughs> so, you know, I think that there is a real, uh, a real resurgence. I, I think the big question for Alex Morgan now is when Katarina Macario gets healthy from her ACL tear, what happens then? Because Katarina Macario really is kind of the future of the team, but plays a very different style of center forward compared to Alex Morgan. And so, that, I think, is now the, the next decision ahead of the World Cup. Meg Linehan from The Athletic is with us talking women's soccer. At It's Meg Linehan is where you can follow her. Last one quickly here. What was your biggest takeaway? You look at folks like Mallory Pugh, who actually gave a similar com- commentary to Alex Morgan of, you know, she got left off that roster and was like, I'm going to fight my way back and is now having a career season. You look at her, you look at Alex, you look at some of the older and younger players that were invited to that. What was your biggest takeaway after watching the U.S. Women's National Team at CONCACAF? Yeah, I think... You know, they're not 100% there yet. And there was kind of a lot of brouhaha when I asked Vlako Andonofsky, like, are you are you feeling ready for a World Cup? And he said, no, like, honestly, no, we're a year out. We're right where we should be. And so now I think the next, you know, as much as we wanted to talk about all of the performances in Mexico, there was not really like one great comprehensive performance or there was not one player who necessarily stood out in every single game or who played every single game and stood out. So now I think we're moving from, we've been in evaluation. 
We've gone through qualification, and now cohesion is going to be the big plot line. And I don't think we saw it yet in Mexico, and that's the next big challenge. And, and the other big thing ahead of them for the next year is getting real, meaningful, top-level talent to play against because that has been a real struggle for them through the first part of 2022. Uh, an update on that NC Courage game and Pride Night. Uh, weather update. Pause due to lightning. Uh, <laughs> folks in the know will remember this game has already been postponed once for COVID. Uh, perhaps if you believe in a Skyman, he is sending a message about their decision not to have someone comment on their decision to boycott the match. Uh, Meg, thanks so much for the time. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. Meg Linehan from The Athletic. Follow her at It's Meg Linehan. Spain and Fitz presented by Progressive Insurance. Protect the stuff you love with renter's insurance. Visit Progressive.com. Coming up, the Live Golf Tournament in New Jersey currently going on, and protesters have made no mistake about how they feel about it. We'll get into all that next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin, hanging out with you on a Friday. ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. I want to quickly note that I do owe a y'all life TikTok dance for that bet I lost. But since Jason Fitz is out, it didn't feel right to post and embarrass myself without his ability to chime in. So I'm saving that for Monday. I presume we will be back together. And I promise I will have a terrible rendition of what appears to be an extremely long and unnecessary complicated dance ready for you uh, next week. We talked a little bit about the Live Golf Tournament being at Trump National, um, just 50 miles away from the site of 9-11 yesterday, and we played a little bit of sound of one uh, grieving relative of someone killed in the 9-11 attacks, talking about their feelings about golf players and announcers and, and everybody else who has chosen to be involved with Live. Well, John Barr from ESPN did some more reporting on this, and here's just a little bit more sound of some of the 9-11 families that have chosen to protest this particular event. Live golf, to me and to so many more of us, to so many of us, it's more like death golf. How much money does it take to turn your back on your country, on the American people? Well, according to certain individuals, such as Phil Mickelson, Brooks Kepka. Bryson DeChambeau, Dustin Johnson, and Donald Trump. That amount of money is just a few hundred million dollars. Surviving family members of 9-11 victims say recently declassified FBI documents further prove that more than a dozen officials working on behalf of the Saudi government provided financial support, even funding flying lessons for at least some of the 9-11 hijackers. On Thursday, we asked former President Trump about the 9-11 family's concerns. Well, nobody's gotten to the bottom of 9-11, unfortunately, and they should have. You've continued your comments as recently as yesterday in your ESPN interview. It's simple. The Saudis did it. They plotted it. They funded it. And now they're trying to distract every one of those sins with a golf tournament. To the golfers, I say this. The stench, the utter disgusting stench of that blood money is sure to follow you all the rest of your days. Courtney, there's a lot here, but I think specifically as the conversation around live continues, as more golfers elect to join, there's something very visceral about the event coming to American soil at one of Donald Trump's golf courses right near the site of 9-11 
And to hear people argue that it's the same as attending an Olympics in a country with a bad human rights report card, or to hear that it's the same as potentially partnering on sending a, a, a part of your league out to a foreign country to play a couple games in return to grow the game globally. I think that kind of whataboutism and the apples to oranges comparisons like that are a very cheap and easy way for people to not have to think very hard about the differences between the circumstances and to challenge themselves to say, this might be uncomfortable for me. This might even be something that prevents me from making money or having more success. And I will still choose to do the right thing even if I can't always do the right thing, even if there's still going to be people doing the wrong thing and getting paid for that, I will choose not to. And that conversation just seems to be an endless cycle of people saying, well, what about this? Have you read about this? Have you seen about this? It feels very disingenuous to me. And the argument that, oh, you try turning down $20 million, $100 million, $200 million that that Phil Mickelson got paid to go join Live Golf and people trying to, you know, go morality police on us and, and, and say, well, you would, this is generational wealth. You wouldn't turn it down. Don't go ahead and turn your nose up at these other golfers who have joined the Live Tour because when you're faced with that situation, what would you do? And, and realistically, a lot of people wouldn't turn down that money. But we, we act like we're a slave to the money in that sense and that it should be a no-brainer that when you are approached, no matter who the money comes from, with a purse that large, that you would go and just say to hell with morality, to, to hell with um, any sort of ethics behind any of this. Like, you're controlled by the price that you're paid for things. Like, that's what bothers me a lot about it. And certainly the goalpost moving now, like now all of a sudden we don't know who, who committed 9-11 and who orchestrated these attacks. Mm-hmm. Former president of the United States is saying this. I mean, obviously these comments are, are, are completely egregious and, and tone deaf doesn't even begin to describe it. But the fact that people are signing on with that, athletes are signing on with that. And, and Charles Barkley, while he did say that he is you know, not going to, to go to law, live, he's going to stay with Turner Broadcasting, um, it, it takes the threat of losing what you're already doing as far as your career to realize that this is probably not the right thing uh, and certainly morally is a very corrupt it's, – it's a corrupt way to live and it's a corrupt way to, to orchestrate yourself. I completely agree, and I do think, Courtney, that neither you nor I nor most people will have a circumstance wherein we'll be able to say we rejected that much money. But the base will be completely different as well. Our starting place of how much money we have and make and the offers that we might get for things, there may be some relative comparisons. And I can tell you for sure that I have said no to sponsorship opportunities, influencer deals, guests on this show, covering events, and opportunities that would have been very good for me both career-wise and money-wise because I have decided that I'm a person who stands in a certain place of principle and I'm not going to go against that. And I have to make those decisions. And I have to make those hard decisions because it matters to me. So you're right. It's not an inevitability that if money is thrown your way, you abandon all morality and principle in pursuit of it. That's still a choice and an option that you are given. And I think a lot of the conversation around, including from someone I consider a friend in Charles Barkley, who thankfully is not going to go work with Liv, is going to stay at TNT, might have even used them to spin a better contract at Turner. Um, I think some of the language that he used that sort of 
flippantly tried to make everything sound like it's the same is part of the problem. We've gotten to a point right now where there is so much awful and evil around us that it can be easy to just say everything sucks and to throw in climate change with like the television show on Netflix you like that got canceled. Those are not the same. They both suck. You're mad about both of them. They both ruined your day. But we need to have nuance and specificity when we talk about these things. And we need to not let people off on the idea of just saying, well, this is bad. So this is okay then, because that's also bad. That's a terrible whataboutism fallacy that's consistently used, particularly in social media spaces. And I don't think we really can talk about this without saying live golf is sport washing. That is its intent. It will not make any money. It is not being televised. The expenditures for it far exceed any potential revenue right now, and they don't even have any revenue. It is completely different than Olympics that are, for instance, given to a specific place and then Americans go and compete in them. Those American athletes have no choice as to where those Olympics are held, and they're not being paid to obfuscate anything they feel about things in order to go. It's very different. Even the NBA in China, I have massive reservations about that deal, but they are not sending a league that is run by the Chinese government and then playing in it, they are running their own league and then affiliating with a government that has questionable ideas and morals. It just, it, it's the goalposts keep moving and it feels yeah. like with live golf, it's going to continue to do that. And I do worry about what the PGA is going to have to do to reconcile that. Yeah. It's going to come to a head soon and the conversation will continue. Of course, speaking of Kyler's contract clause continues to be a topic of conversation. We'll get into next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. So we're talking about Kyler Murray for the holdout, the contract signing, the contract clause. Well, what are Cardinal fans feeling about being tied to this guy for the coming years, about the doubts about his willingness to study because of that contract, and about the fallout from it going public? We'll find out next. It's Spain and Fitz on a Friday. Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. And joining us now, the co-host of Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports 98.7, Luke Lipinski. Let's just start with how surprised, or maybe not, you were to find out about this clause in Kyler Murray's contract, and then to see the team decide to pull it. Yeah, I mean, it's been kind of a roller coaster this week. I don't think a lot of people here that follow the Cardinals super closely were that surprised that maybe there were concerns about how much uh, film time he puts in. But to see it actually put in writing in a contract and then be out there for everybody to see, that was surprising. And then when we all kind of got over that, I think last night was maybe even more surprising because it felt like as a team you had already kind of dealt with the backlash. And so if that was really important to you, you got through that and now you have it in this contract and instead they kind of dealt with the backlash and then got rid of it too. So it's just been a whirlwind the last four days. Did last night make it worse with the Arizona Cardinals coming out and and the statement that they put out that they were going to take this away from the contract because of the controversy that it had caused? Like, does that, because we all know it's it was there. We all know why it was there. Um, the team's not going to guarantee somebody $160 million at signing with that clause in there if they don't feel there is some issue with the studying. But, like, in terms of, like, the overall way that we view this, is it actually worse now that, that they ended up taking that out? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I made the analogy today on the air. It was almost like that scene from Swingers where John Favreau, like, calls the voicemail, and then he keeps trying to make it better, and he keeps making it worse. <laughs> I understand what they were trying what they were trying to do. And, 
you know, I think what it ultimately does is last night when it happened, we all kind of looked at each other like they definitely just made this worse. And I think they did for the short term. But I do now the more I kind of think about it, it long term, it does make sense. Like this is a it's a thing right now. It's a PR kind of it's, it's close to a PR nightmare, right, for a couple of days. But by next week, you got the Hall of Fame game. You get other stories around the NFL going because it's not still in the contract. It's kind of something that won't get brought up as much, at least. Uh, at least that's what they're hoping. I mean, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, it does feel like this will die down when we have games to talk about and plays to talk about. But from what you've heard around this team and this player for the length of his time there, were you surprised by the commentary when the contract negotiations started, when there was the report that potentially he was selfish or narcissistic? What have you heard about him just in general as a player and a teammate there? He, you know, you hear you hear a wide range of stuff. It's it's very interesting because he is kind of a unique guy, and I think some of it, I, I do think some of it is just simply he's he's a little bit different. And so I think sometimes people take that or mistake it as aloofness or you know not a great teammate. Ultimately, obviously, you got to talk to the guys in the locker room, and for the most part, you know, you get Zach Ertz and guys like that coming out publicly this week, and they've had to do it over the course of these contract negotiations all off season talking about how good of a teammate he is and how good of a leader he is. It's probably somewhere in, in between because sometimes you hear anonymously guys saying he's not that great of a leader and, you know, he comes off as entitled whether he is or not. I think ultimately what it boils down to is still a pretty young quarterback that has stuff to learn but is extremely talented. Isn't like a bad guy. It's not like he's getting in trouble off the field. And I think the biggest issue if you're the Cardinals or Cardinals fans is kind of what you saw in that contract clause of, okay, he's not a finished product. As long as he doesn't think he's a finished product, we're in good shape. Luke, so we know that this, when he got the contract, that obviously upped the ante with expectations about what he would look like this year. He was an MVP candidate uh, for the first seven weeks of 2021. So topping that, the Cardinals taking a step beyond where they were last year. Um so so it feels like he's going to have all these expectations to do that and rewrite the narrative around him, knowing that we all know the elephant in the room, that this was in his contract, that the team has doubts about his ability to study and prepare as an NFL quarterback. Like, How does he handle that massive load that's more than just winning games? Yeah, I mean, he's going to be under a lot of scrutiny because you also have hard knocks coming here for the in-season stuff. And that's the second half of the season where the Cardinals have not been good the last two years. You know, two years ago, they just needed to win one of their last two games against John Walford and, and C.J. Beathard and the 49ers and Rams were both so banged up and they couldn't beat either one of them. And then last year they started 10-2 and two and finished 1-5. and five. So it, there's already pressure on the second half of the season. You've got all this stuff with the contract. You've just, like you said, the simple fact that he just got paid almost a quarter of a billion dollars. The best thing he can do, and I know it's not totally under his control, but he's got a big part of it, is win in the second half of the season because that has really been an issue with this team the last two years, and it's that much more maddening when you start 10-2 and two and still can't win in the final you know, five, six games. It's Spain and Fitz. We're talking to Luke Lipinski of Arizona Sports 98.7, the co-host of Wolf and Luke. You can follow him at Luke Lipinski. Let's get into that. What are the reasons to believe that this team can improve and be stronger down the stretch, and what are the reasons to be concerned this year? Well, I mean, they have the talent. You, you see it when you go 7-0 and and you go 10-2, and and there was a time last year where, like you just said, you know, Kyler was an MVP candidate, and then they just fell right off the edge of a cliff, and they scored 12 points against Detroit, and they basically weren't even there in the playoff game against the Rams. And that's a Rams team they've had a hard time with for the last few years, but they also did beat them at one point last season. And then the playoffs, they didn't even look like they belonged on the same field. So 
I think it's a lot of different things. I mean, there was the Hopkins, the DeAndre Hopkins injury last year in the second half, but some of it is probably Kyler and his leadership. Some of it is it, it seems at times like the offense has become too predictable, especially when they play a team a second time. And in the, the case of the Rams, the, you know, a third time, they've got talent. They certainly have the talent to be a playoff team, especially on offense. But they just they they got to figure that out in the second half of the season, whether it's leadership, whether it's injuries. You know, JJ Watt's a great leader. He was hurt for the entire second half of the season too. So it's been a lot of things coming together. But if you go out there and struggle again this year, people don't don't see those as reasons. They just see them as excuses. With DeAndre Hopkins being out those first six games of the year due to being suspended for, for violating the league's uh, substance uh, performance-enhancing drugs policy, um, how do you think that they compensate in spreading the ball around with that receiving core, knowing that there is a, quite a bit of a drop-off after Hopkins like how do you think they're going to game plan in his absence so they don't have to you know be waiting until week seven to try to get things going in the NFC West yeah I mean they're basically in survival mode those first three weeks they get the Chiefs Raiders and Rams so they're (laughs) going to have to figure something out right out of the gate Uh, the hope is Hollywood Brown comes in and he's dealing with a hamstring thing right now but it's supposedly minor but the hope is given his chemistry with Kyler Murray off the field and you know back at Oklahoma that he'll be able to step right in from week one and and it not look like he's a good but new receiver it'll look like he's on the same page with Kyler uh you've got him you've got Rondale Moore who showed flashes last year as a rookie but kind of disappeared in the second half and the guy to maybe keep an eye on is Zach Ertz because they also drafted Trey McBride so it's possible they could you know run two tight ends out there and almost use Ertz like another receiver this is this is going to be a test of Cliff Kingsbury being innovative on offense, which is supposed to be his strength. So it's, it's going to be out there for everybody to see one way or the other the first six weeks. Luke, it'll be just a guess, but how far into camp do you think until we're really just talking about who looks good, what are the passes looking like, what are the coaches looking like, um, or do you think it's entirely a matter of how Kyler starts the season? <laughs> it's uh, it, it feels like it's been a lot of uh, off-season soap operas with this team this year. So we'll see. They're, they're probably better out there not on the hard knocks before the season. But um, right, I think right. I honestly, I, yeah, I honestly feel like by the you know next week coming up, I think it'll start to switch more to football and you know, questions about Dave and Collins and, and guys on defense, and certainly the following week when they get a preseason game against the Bengals. I think it'll start to turn then unless something else happens with Kyler Murray and this contract stuff, but I, I can't think of anything else that could still happen. Yeah, well, uh, now you've jinxed it. So uh, <laughs> looking forward to whatever insanity is yet to come. Luke, thanks so much for the time. Thank you. I appreciate it. Luke Lipinski, Arizona Sports 98.7. At Luke Lipinski is where you can follow him. Tune into an NL battle Sunday as the Giants host the Cubs. Coverage of Sunday Night Baseball begins at 6 Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app and at 7 p.m. on ESPN. Coming up, the NFL is back. That means it's time for you to bite me. Coming up next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's a Friday! Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin, hanging out with you on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Right after this, hopefully Courtney will take a break, lie down, listen to some Beyonce. Or are you going out? You got a big night tonight? Absolutely not. There's pizza <laughs> and Beyonce in my future. Pizza and Beyonce. Tell me a better Friday night. Uh, it sounds better than pretty much any other option. Maybe Netflix and chill, depending on who that's with. But pizza and Beyonce is a solid, solid second. Uh, we asked earlier in the show, uh, we were talking about Dak Prescott, who, 
uh, celebrated his golden birthday, which is when the year that you are turning, the age you're turning, is the same as the day. So uh, in his case, 29 on the 29th. And I had to tell the entire Around the Horn group of folks, pretty much all of them had never heard of a golden birthday. Uh, and so as I was explaining it, we were joking about having a very serious golden birthday with golden balloons and golden streamers and golden gifts and everything else. And it had us thinking about some potentially weird celebrations and whether folks had had any. We didn't get a lot of responses to the weirdest occasion you've attended a party for, a dog wedding, a divorce party. Those are certainly things that I know people have attended. But this one is a good one, Courtney. This uh, Kenicky Riley says, a friend called off her wedding couldn't get a refund on the caterers, so she had a thank God I'm not getting married party catered. Um, that sounds like something went real wrong, and so to be able to put a spin on that, that's the way to do it. I mean, then you get to, like, take advantage of all the food that you had ordered and just have a really, like, raging great party for your yeah. friends, right? Yeah, and in theory, if something happened... From a negative to a positive. Right, something happened that you uh, are wanting to put behind you, you will feel celebra celebratory about learning that before the wedding and not after, right? I like it. Like, thank God I didn't get married. Let's throw down because I dodged a bullet there. Um, I have been to uh, a couple weird parties. One was my own. It was one of my greatest and most successful parties, which is saying something because, Courtney, I have thrown a lot of tremendous parties. Epic, epic bashes. This one last year was called Do Over Day, and we recreated every holiday that we had stolen from us from COVID, uh, beginning with St. Patrick's Day. And every hour and a half or so, we switched locations and holidays and costumes. Everything had to fit in your backpack. Uh, we went St. Patrick's Day to 4th of July, to Halloween, to Thanksgiving with a full catered Thanksgiving dinner and little mini uh, football game, Christmas, and then New Year's Eve. Uh, there was a boat involved. It got canceled due to COVID, which means I might need to have a do-over, do-over day. Uh, but that was a weird ex opportunity to have a party, and it was amazing. The other one was I very recently went to a friend's sperm donor choosing party oh. where we got to look at the, uh, I guess, suitor is a word, although they will not be interacting in any way other than sperm to egg but uh she had eight gentlemen we got to see photos information educational background likes interests height stats etc languages spoken skills and go through a full checklist and try to figure out which one we thought she should you know try to have a kid with so like what kind of um what, what do you do with this? Like, is there alcohol? Is there special cake? What's yes, the, what's we the had entire, a lot of, like... yeah, there were a lot of themed foods. Um, there were some things that I won't get into the details of that were certain I think textures I know where and we're consistencies. Going yeah. Oh my goodness. Those I will not get into. Uh, and the kinds of like, I don't know, like rum chata that you might drink. Uh, oh. And then we had uh, sperm shaped cookies and snacks, uh, deviled eggs, of course. Um, wow. Lots you, of drinks. You guys really yeah. took this to the extreme. Hey, I want to come to one of your parties. I want to come to one of Courtney, these. Courtney, you are in town now. Parties. You are in town now. If you want a teaser for the next big bash coming up, it is going to be a Studio 54 themed gala oh, renting out a roller skating rink for a couple hours and then a post roller skating bash Heck 70s yeah. glam 
That yeah. is so Ooh, I can wear like looking. wigs and, yes. and bell bottoms and start stuff looking that I for your outfit. I, I'm looking for a very specific kind of gold lame dress. That's the vibe that I'm going for. Um, so we will be on the hunt. I will uh, I'll send you details. Um, yeah. So those are uh, you listen. I've been to a lot of weird parties. Uh, I think that every single day is an opportunity to celebrate. You just never know. And I don't mean that in a cynical way. I mean that in a positive way. Um, so uh, save the date. I'll send it to you separately. It's Spain and Fit, Sarah Spade, Courtney Cronin, hanging out on a Friday, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. And we want to close out the week with our first couple bits of sound as NFL players and coaches are getting back into camp. Some of the ones we liked most. Let's start with Lamar Jackson talking about criticism. I mean, I guess this is what comes with it. You know, um, when, you, when you're trying to be great, you know, when you're trying to work your tail off, it's going to be negativity. But, you know, they hated Jesus. And I'm not Jesus, so I don't, I don't really worry about it. <laughs> Just so good. We get the point. His point is that literally anyone can be criticized. But it did sound like he was like, I'm a god, so is he. And people still got things to say. He's got oh, he's always got something incredible to say. And you don't even think twice. You're like, yeah, of course. Absolutely. Yeah, like, they hated yeah. Jesus. So, of course. I mean, I get that, Lamar. Like, I resonate with that. Uh, speaking of someone who always has something to say, Jerry Jones putting a ton of pressure on his head coach, Mike McCarthy. I want to be real clear. He wouldn't be sitting here today if I didn't think he was the man to lead this team to a Super Bowl. He would not be. And I have choices. Oh, he really sounds like he's about to murder someone. I have choices. And that was a little creepy. To murder you. <laughs> and I mean, the whole playoff or bust narrative that's now around this mm-hmm. Dallas Cowboys team and whether people want to admit to it or not, Mike McCarthy is very much on the hot seat. Just listen to Jerry Jones and his choices. Um that's going to be the storyline following this team all season long, and we are probably going to refer back to Jerry Jones and his choices when choices. he chooses to potentially right. fire to him at the end of the year. replace his head coach midseason or later. Uh, former Chicago Bear, former Raider, now a Charger, Khalil Mack, was asked about playing for teams that have been not competing as, as much and, and heading to San Diego, uh, sorry, Los Angeles, the Chargers, and uh, how hungry he is. How hungry, how hungry are you after stops with the Raiders and the Bears where, you know, the teams didn't win as much as maybe they could have? You say, how, how hungry? How hungry? You want to know how hungry I am? I'll show you. Appreciate it. That was a literal mic drop, and also figuratively, he's like, uh, yeah, basically, uh, you know, just watch, is what he said. Which, for his sake, I hope is uh, the case, because he can be a game-changer, game-wrecker, but didn't see as much of that last year. Hopefully, the Chargers is a great place for him. I was really hoping he would have done something like, I don't know, if there was like a thing of snacks right next to him and just like thrown yeah. it all in his mouth. Like I how, wasn't expecting yes. the mic drop. That's how my first hungry. time hearing yeah. the sound. He's like, just watch. Like That's cool. Yeah. A mic drop and, and walking away is yeah. always a good idea, but um, really was hoping for a visual there and maybe an auditory uh, bite. Yes. Uh, very quickly, Justin Fields, Chicago Bears quarterback, who got himself in a little trouble saying things weren't as fast as he thought they were going to be and then saying I'm not quite ready yet, said this and caught himself midway through. I don't know anything else. I've been doing this since I was, what, six years old? And um, it's just when you've been doing something for so long, you just, you know, start to love it more and more. And I love the 
failures that comes with it. I love everything that comes with it because I know that, you know, at the end of the, the day, like, as long as I, you know, give my best and I know what I can do, I know, you know, once we do reach our full potential, like, what we'll be able to do. So, you know, just everything that comes with the game, the failures, you know, the you know, wins, everything. I just, just love it. So, why, why do you look at failure? Because it's, it's come, it, it comes with the game. So, like I said, you know, you're not going to always win every game. And you have to, if you're going to love the game, you're going to have to love everything that comes with it. You can't just, you know, love one part of it. Like, you're going to have to, you know, embrace the failures. Like, I'll take you back to one example in college, like 2019, when we lost to Clemson, the game ending uh, interception that catapulted us that next offseason into a whole different mindset. So just stuff like that, just, you know, responding back to that and just knowing how to respond from failures and stuff like that, I think, you know, that just, that just makes it even better. So, um, of course, I don't love failing. Like, I mean, yeah, we, we need to throw that back. I don't love failing, but, you know, you just have to, you know, be able to, you know, know how to bounce back, know how to, you know, get back uh, in that mindset and just, you know, get back rolling, like just drop it or whatever, learn from your mistakes, this and that, and just, you know, keep on going. Courtney, when I tell you this sound bite was a ride for me driving in my car when I heard it first, and I was like, take it back, just take it, don't, you don't have to stick with it, dude, they're gonna run it, they're gonna run it over and over, take He's it learned back. learned his lesson from the past, that oh, was a smart so PR savvy move by the quarterback. <laughs> I was so grateful when he was like, okay, wait, I don't like failure, throw that out, and thankfully, the media seems to have not just taken it and run with it. <sighs> Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.